Welcome to the Financial Dads Podcast with Paul Fagan and Paul Becker. This podcast is for all the moms and dads out there who struggle with life's topics, especially related to family and finances. Now here's my dad, Paul Fagan. Hey, Paul. How are you doing? Hey, Paul. How's it going today? Uh, doing well. Fantastic. Uh, it's been pretty busy uh, here in our house. We got through Thanksgiving uh, without issue. Um, I can't remember the last time. I'm trying to remember. I guess it was a couple of weeks ago we, we met. I can't remember. Was it before Thanksgiving that we met, Paul? It was yeah. Good Thanksgiving? Okay. So Thanksgiving went well. And a couple of college updates. My son got into a couple of more colleges while we were away. Um, Great. Which is good. So either way, he will be out of my house in September. Um, that's a pretty solid plan at this point. Now we're just going to wait for the other responses to come in and then figure out what the next steps are. But that was kind of really good news when that first big envelope came through. Uh, the pressure was really off, right? Like it was like, okay, we could breathe it now. You know, everyone has those, especially him, right? He probably had these terrifying moments like, I'm not going to get anywhere. What am I going to do? What's going to happen? Um, and, and, and we kind of had the same thing, right? No matter how how well you think you're prepared and how well you've done for these things um uh, there's always that in the back of my mind so the pressure is off so we'll just see what happens over the next few months and then stay tuned everybody we'll let everyone know uh what the outcome of that is uh paul what's been going on with you uh not much i i did buy a place down south so oh, congratulations so it wasn't the same place we talked about i don't know paul we talked about a lot of places so i don't know which one but uh yeah it's a it's done deal. We closed on that. Um, uh, interestingly, you know, I'm not ready to move yet, so we rented it out. And I had the most amazing broker down there. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, Paul! The day I closed, he had a renter move in. So, oh, awesome! He, so oh, very uh, cool. Very, very crazy. Very weird. But uh, the whole thing happened in about a month's time, from start to finish. A little less very, than a month, actually. Very cool. Congratulations on that. That's oh, awesome. Thanks. Thank awesome you. news. Um, Thank you. So I have a question for you, Paul. You said the envelope came, the big envelope. It wasn't like an email? No, yeah. they still get envelopes. No, no, no. It was a full, really? full envelope. Yeah, both emails. were full envelopes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah both were full envelopes. So um, I don't know if he's going, if he applied to colleges that are still operating out of the 1960s. But uh, <laughs> he got big envelopes. Uh, so I thought the same thing, Paul, to be honest with you. But, yeah, that's what happened. Well, we got the big, thick envelopes. I'm sure there might be a couple of schools that may do the email route. Uh, but so far, we've been seeing the big envelopes kind of like when we were going to college back in the day. If you got the thin envelope, you knew you weren't going. If you got the thick envelope, you knew you were in. Yeah, our mailman always laughed because he, he always knew first. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, very cool. Very cool. Uh, today's podcast is with Bob Wheeler, author of The Money Nerve. We'll hear how emotions underpin our relationship with money and how that relationship in turn affects all aspects of our lives. So it's going to be an exciting episode. Uh, but first, let's talk about some news we saw this past week. Um, the first news story is from Apple News. Um, this came actually from uh, my wife had forwarded me over the article. She's always on the on the lookout for decent articles. And this is from Market Watch uh, from CBS News. Uh, nine financial gift ideas for kids and grandkids. And um, we'll post all this to the uh, to the Facebook page. But it talks about teaching kids and how to invest in buying stocks. So you could buy. There's websites where you could buy stock for as little as five dollars, partial shares. 
Um, mm -hmm. You could do 529 plans and invest there, um, piggy banks and Acorn accounts and, 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 and such. So for me, Paul, what kind of reached out to me on this was the piggy bank concept is still my favorite. Uh, traditionally, when I have friends and family that have uh, newborns, I, I typically buy some sort of cool piggy bank. For them to leverage because inevitably there's always going to be these dollars and change that gets collected um, we're not quite there yet where everything gets put onto a debit card or people are selling everything back and forth to each other so there's always that need for physical currency so i do buy that piggy bank and i try to buy something that's nice that people will kind of you know uh keep for a while right so um the other thing that kind of stuck out at me was this this deposit of cash into 529 plans i know it's easy I know it's practical. I know it works well. I tried to do this in real life. The problem is it's tough to tell a five-year-old, hey, here's a gift, but I got you this gift uh, that I put money in your college fund, right? And they don't quite understand that. So that was always one of the things that um, – was a little bit didn't work as well for me with giving to my niece and my nephew the other thing was i sort of got out of rhythm with it um it became something where i'd have to go physically move the money around and 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 it just in the end of the day we, we i was able to save some money for them but i wish i had saved more quite frankly um but paul what was your take on this story i agree with you well two things i like the piggy bank idea because within that you can then teach them about budgeting and planning and saving for the kite, the water sport toy, whatever it might be. That's my, that's probably the biggest favorite. It depends on the age of the child as well, right? If they're much younger, the, the piggy bank works well. As they get older, that's where you can start doing more about the investing and giving them less life lessons around that. But you, you and I have talked about this at great length, Paul, the, the lack of education and this actually ties right into bob that people have in, in learning how to do finances at, a, at any age it's just not taught in school well and, and i don't want to steal any of bob's thunder but uh we'll, we'll get to him in a little bit but i think that all ties together so yep. you know grandparents who've been through it have a lot more value to share than sometimes parents or just anyone in general lets them share so that there's a lot to that. I love it. You know, giving them money to 529s is certainly extremely helpful and generous. But I think the best value, the best thing they could do is is teach them about money and how things work. Very cool. Very cool. Um, the second story is from the Penny Hoarder. Uh, four things you could spend money on that will actually make you rich. Um, I read this story, and Paul, I know you forwarded it over to me. It was interesting. I, I like the concept of fractional ownership. Whether it was real estate or stock, I thought that was very interesting. Uh, those are things I, I probably would explore more. Um, the other things that were in there around the secret debit card, that aspiration card, um, I'd have to investigate that further. Uh, it sounds like they give you a big percentage back every time you swipe. So I don't know if, there, if, I, if I know anyone who has any practical experience with it but that's definitely something to investigate um the other thing that was interesting was i think it was around buying uh you know the million dollar buy i guess that was more of a pitch for selling insurance right i don't know if that was whole life or 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 um the other type of insurance uh term but that was an interesting kind of shroud around selling insurance, right? That's what I took away from it. But overall, I thought the article was was pretty cool, and it's it's worth the read. Paul, what was your take on this story? 
Yeah, I also thought the uh, last one about the million-dollar thing was clearly targeted at insurance, probably a whole-life policy if I had a guess. The the secret debit card, um, interesting, you know, gives you up to 10% back every time you swipe. I don't know how they could do that from the economics of how things work, right, unless they're taking your information, aggregating it, and selling it, like, to everybody and everything. I, I don't know how they're going to give you 10% back on that. I need to investigate it more. Um, to me, I'm a skeptical person, so it sounds a little fishy to me, but um, uh, we'll have to take a look, about, look at it. But it definitely sends – I don't know how they would do it because yeah, generally I, a swipe is – a company pays two point seven five, two and a quarter, maybe high end three percent. So where they're getting this extra money from, I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. So for those of you out there that are listening, <coughs> if you have any experience with it, or let us know via the Facebook page or our email, and uh, we'd be happy to uh, share your experience with with all the listeners. Um, so with that, I think uh, we'd now like to welcome to the podcast Bob Wheeler, author of The Money Nerve. Um, we'll hear how emotions underpin our relationship with money and how that relationship in turn affects all aspects of our lives. Bob, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be here, Paul and Paul. <laughs> Very cool. Thank you. Yeah, we, we get that Paul and Paul a lot. <laughs> so it does yep. get confusing on the show sometimes, but I think it, we'll, we'll work through it. I think it works out pretty well. Uh, but, but, Bob, I think we'll kind of kick off with, with your book, The Money Nerve. Um, I did download a copy. I love the way the book is written in terms of guidance and then, more importantly, that call to action, that actionable point at the end of each chapter that, that people should do and follow. Um, and it's an easy read, which I can appreciate because I'm not a great reader. Uh, in full transparency, I'll be diving deeper into the book uh, with my iPad and my Apple Pencil. I like to make a lot of scribble and a lot of notes on my digital copies of books. But I want I, I the first question I want to ask you, Bob, is tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your journey and how you got from kind of point A to point B when it comes to writing this book because it's quite a big accomplishment. And congratulations on that. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much. It's well, it, it was an interesting journey. I originally wanted to be a lawyer, and so my whole college career and everything was law, but I took accounting as a as a as an elective so that I could keep my grade point average up because everybody loves accounting, right? It's an easy A. So that's where I Easy, easy A. a. <laughs> and uh, so that's where I started. And then basically what happened was I realized I wanted to go into accounting, um, like everybody, because it's riveting and exciting. Uh, it was just something that I did well. And uh, at the same time, I was out in L.A. and I had this, you know, creative bug. So I started doing stand-up comedy and I ended up uh, working at doing comedy at the comedy store. And Mitzi called me in and I was I became the CFO of the comedy store. So I had my own accounting practice. I was working with a lot of creative folks. And I was also, because I was a CPA, I was expected to be doing amazing things with my money. And I wasn't, I was doing terrible things with my money. I wasn't following my own rules. And so as I was looking at my own stuff, my own baggage and talking to my friends who had a lot of shame around money and my clients tax sessions were turning into therapy sessions. I realized there's a lot going on here around money that we don't talk about. And I'd love to start conversations around money to help remove that stigma of shame and to really help people to start like putting it out in the open and, you know, show, showing warts and all and, and, and just letting people know they're not alone 
in their financial choices. Yeah, that that's very cool. And the two things, the reason why I laughed about accounting is I, I didn't find it easy. I was an accounting major. Um, I'm in IT now. Um, it just, for whatever reason, it didn't resonate with me. I think the way it resonates with, with others, sometimes people who are accountants, they see the numbers very clearly. I always struggle to see them. I got through it. Um, but to your point, it wasn't fun. And I found uh, when I had a part-time job as an IT person, I found IT, uh, it, I could see that better than accounting and numbers, if that makes sense. I could still do accounting mechanically, but it's really kind of IT. And I've been able to combine both, um, you know, especially with the personal finance stuff, right? Yeah. Combining the technology with the, with the money aspects and stuff like that. And so it's worked out well. And then the second call out is, so I have to ask you, did you meet Paulie Shore? Oh, I do. I do know Polly Shore. I I work ah, with the Shore that's family. Very cool. Yeah, yeah I was going to say the Mitzi and the stand up comedy. There was a great special at one point. I don't know if if yeah. he put that together or someone else put that together. Let's start put that together. But, but yeah, I worked with all the kids, and um, I I had the fortune, I had the good fortune to get to work with Mitzi and travel with her. And uh, uh, amazing woman, amazing woman. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd love so, to hear it. That's awesome. We could probably do another whole podcast on your on your yeah, career at the comedy store. Pretty crazy, right? So pretty crazy. <laughs> we just had Dave Chappelle funny. last night pop in for a surprise. Two oh shows. wow! Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. That is so funny. Cool, cool. Like I said, I could keep diverging on this, but I'm gonna I'm gonna steer us back on track. And and the next question we have is, what is the money nerve like in a nutshell from your point of view? So the whole reason I called it the money nerve is because I think that money is physically in us, you know, the energy of money, the stress of money, the excitement of money. And so I wanted to just really call out to the fact that we carry it internally. If your bank account is overdrafted, you usually have that, that feeling. And, and we, you know, people have heart attacks over money. People get stressed out. You get that bonus check you weren't counting on, you win the lottery and you have this euphoric excitement in your body. It's visceral. And so I wanted to really name it as that because we we feel it that's great that's great bob it's interesting hearing you speak and reading your book i feel like that's actually a lot of what our podcast is about right it's about taking our experiences good bad ugly whatever and sharing it with everybody um you, you took the next step and actually wrote it, um, where we just go on and on here. But it's really neat. So, so yeah. um, in the beginning of the book, I, I thought it was interesting how you related to some of the downfall in 2008, like Lehman and everything. So that was interesting. Well, it's, you know, it's, we, history keeps repeating itself in some ways, right? We, we keep doing the same thing and then we're surprised. And, and we look at trends or we, you know, all of a sudden credit's available, then credit's not available. The market's up, it's down. All of that stuff is emotionally related as well in my book, uh, not just the literal book, but right. It's we're, we're thinking everything's going to crash. Actually, I remember with Mitzi, uh, there was a period in this in the 90s where um, she had a nice chunk of money in, in her retirement account. The market crashed. She said, sell, sell, sell. And I'm like, no, Mitzi, don't, don't, don't. Because if you, if you sell, you lose it. She's like, no, I can't afford to, I can't afford to lose it. So I'm going to sell. So she lost it. Right. And many of us do that, especially as people get older, there's the panic. And, and so we do, we, we, we panic or we trust certain things that have been around forever are always going to be there forever. 
they're not necessarily going to be there. Uh, right. Uh, Lehman brothers or, uh, what was that? That, um, there used to be an ad about that company. Everybody listens, you know, I think, uh, EF Hutton or something like that. EF Hutton. EF Hutton. Right. Yeah. yeah. You don't hear about we're, them we're, anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm listening. Well, they were, Where are they? Wait, weren't they acquired by JP Morgan at one point? I thought they were acquired. Anyway, but yeah, they they they're they're gone. They're gone. Yeah, it, it, and this kind of ties back to I made a note, Bob. What resonated with me was this chapter you did on identify your fears, yes. right? And I can relate completely to that sell-off. I had a family member got very scared during the 2008. I think it was the around 2008 when the 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 the, the portfolio went in half or less. Um, completely sold it out, completely put everything into CDs within the retirement fund, and then left it there, Yeah. right? And and, and really sad, um, and I got it. And to your point, that person was older, um, was not as sophisticated kind of understanding the kind of the nuances, and, and, and fear took over. So I thought that was a really great chapter to, for people to kind of drill into. The other thing that came to mind for me was that was insightful for me personally was the mental map exercise yeah. at the beginning of the book, especially around about what you, the questions you posed, which I thought were really good around about your mother and father's teachings, right? That got to me, and I and I have to really do what you say and kind of really dig into that more. How did you go about writing that that first chapter, and did you experience? kind of some of these um some of these some of these fears maybe it's i'm kind of combining both and there's the two things that stuck out were the identifying your fears so i want to hear a little bit more about you and writing that chapter and what some of maybe your fears were as part of your journey and then how did you build that other chapter around the mental map exercise and come up with those pointed questions because they were excellent yeah so uh, i'll speak to the fear first uh certainly i had a lot of fears uh i think most of my life a good portion of it was was based on fear uh, you know, whether it was, I was going to be enough, whether I was going to be successful, um, whether I was going to be too successful, what would happen if I was successful? Uh, what happens if I get called out? What if I don't actually know all the answers and I just got lucky? Uh, so there was a lot of, a lot of fear for me. Um, I was also socialized, uh, to believe that, and whether this was my parents or whatever, but believe that I was my, was my accumulation of, of things. And so, you know, I needed to be in the top 10%. I needed to win this thing. I needed to, uh, have material things so I could say, see, I've got proof. So I was tying my, my self value was tied to my net value, uh, sort of thing. And, and so that took me a while to sort of wait, say, wait a minute, that that's actually, they're not related. Um, and I think growing up, my parents didn't, have a lot of money, but wanted to seem like they had a lot of money. And so saving wasn't something we did. Um, if I had things, they might, you know, go towards the family fund instead of staying in my fund. Uh, so I, I had all these, these, these fears and beliefs and, and those were overriding factors in how I lived my life and how I spent my money, um, and how I didn't save my money, um, at a certain point. And, as far as, and so there are, so for so many people, there are different kinds of fears, you know, fear of success, fear of having to manage the money, fear of having to say no to something, uh, fear of not having enough. I have people in their eighties with millions of dollars who still think they're going to run out. And, um, 
And that's really, it's a mindset. It's not reality. Um, in terms of writing the book and this map, I've, I've done a lot of different work in NLP, which is neuro-linguistic programming, um, and a lot of different uh, modalities that that explore really how our our brain is wired. And for me, I was able to look and see, oh, here's choices I I was making. Um, And I, I do also believe that piece about see your future, be your future. And so I did have certain things that I envisioned and I got them to come to fruition and, and more so because I envisioned it, not because I had the exact proper steps laid out. And so when I started doing that, that piece about the mental mapping, it was really about what's the story am I telling myself and what am I programming my GPS to tell me where to go? Because a lot of times we say, oh, I want to be rich. But then we actually do everything to keep us from doing that. Um, because we've got an underlying story that says, I can't really be rich. That's never going to happen for me. And so I started focusing with people on sort of that undervoice, that voice where when I say to everybody, who wants to be rich? And everybody's like, me, me, me. And then I'll ask, but who deserves it? And I see people cringe. And, and they'll, oh, oh, ugh. Like that part gets ugly. And, and so that's the place where I want to focus on because that's where I think a lot of the fear is and a lot of the, the juicy uh, beliefs that we need to work through. So, so Bob, quick question for you here. Um, I, I myself, I, I wouldn't say I do mind mapping. I do a lot of, I'll call mental gymnastics yeah. around it. Um, probably the same thing in a way. I'm planning many, many, many years out. Generally, I financially, I like to plan about 10 years out. Yeah. That's how I kind of have been doing it. Hence, buying the place down south that I was just talking about. Right, that that's my plan for the future, where I'm going and what I'm doing. I'm able to do it now. And, and I'm just wondering if, you know, I do a lot of what ifing and with those mental gymnastics. Well, what if this happens? That happens. And then what I try and do is personally, I take that and I apply it into the budgets and things like that. Is your methodology sort of similar like that? Okay, it's one thing to think about it. There's another thing to take it and then do something with it. Is that yeah. kind of where you're going with the book? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, again, it's in steps. And uh, I know a lot of people talk about baby steps, and I'm the same way. I got to start to know the information before I can start to implement it. Uh, so if I sort of know where I want to go, then I can start to lay out how am I going to get there? Uh, so how do I budget that in? So a lot of times I'll work with people and they'll say, oh, I want to I want to build a music studio in the back. I'll say, great. That sounds good. And when, how do you want to do this? You know, what's the plan? Well, I want to have a music studio in the next two years. Great. What's it going to cost you? Oh, it's going to cost me $12,000. Okay, great. How much money can you put away each month? 50 bucks. All right, let's do the math. It's not going to work, right? So like that then starts to help people go, oh, right. It's actually got to make sense. So if it's going to cost me 12,000 bucks, I want to get there in two years, I've got to set aside 6,000 each year, or maybe I've got some money I can pull from here. And, and so what I do is try to get people to start to tie it to reality uh, because a lot of people don't, they just say, I want to get rich or I want a million bucks or, okay, what's the plan? How does that, how do we action that? And so bringing in the budget for me, even though a lot of people will cringe at the word budget, uh, it's, it's a great way to give me information to start to see 
How does it all fit together? Oh, okay, maybe it's going to take five years, not four years. Uh, oh, I'm going to need, maybe I don't need a new computer. I could use a refurbished computer. Or what, how can I start to modify so that I can actually make the goal happen instead of just keeping it in the distance? That's cool. And I think that ties back to, and I, I did have a question for you, Bob, around the Daily Journal, which I think is a great concept. Um, and I'm, I'm guessing now that you've spoken more about kind of you make the plan, you have your action plan, you go through your, your exercises. Is the Daily Journal kind of that way to keep you honest and keep you on track against your goals? Like, What, what is the purpose of the, of the Daily Journal? Is that, am I accurate in that or is there more to it in terms of keeping the Daily Journal? Well, so the Daily Journal does a lot of things. For me, one way, uh, one thing it does is it helps me just sort of throw out the garbage that's going on in my head and getting it down on paper. And there is a, a, a scientific correlation between taking stuff out of your brain and writing it to paper. And as you're putting it on paper, you can start to see stuff and say, well, that's sort of brilliant or that's sort of crazy uh, because we, it's in our mind. It's not really real until we, for me, until we put it down on paper. The, what it also does is helps me keep track so I can look back and see what I was thinking, what I was doing. Uh, so I have got a history. It also keeps me honest about what's going on. I'm having a lot of fear about this. I'm having a lot of doubts about this. Uh, this thing could really work if I do A, B, and C. Sometimes and I'm in my writing, I might write down some really great stuff that 10 minutes later I've completely forgotten. And I go back and go, oh, wow, that's pretty brilliant. Uh, so it, 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 it documents and um, gives me my history. But it also, for me, writing out my goals, letting myself change my goals, uh, which I didn't used to have permission for. Wait, I can change my mind? Uh, so I might say, okay, great, I want that jacuzzi. Or, you know, I want to buy a ranch or whatever it might be. And then six months down the line, I think, I don't really want that. It just sounded cool. Or I said, yes, because my friends all had one. And, and so to be able to look at that and, 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 and just keep tracking what's going on for me. But for me, the biggest thing about also journaling is just what's coming up. Like, this is really scary. I'm about to take this big leap. I'm about to invest in this house. I, what, here's all the things. I'm going to get a bad tenant. Like all the possible things that could go wrong. And, and then explore them. Is that historically true? Have I made really bad decisions? Oh, no, they've actually worked out. Uh, so maybe I'm just, I'm just tapping into a fear and not tapping into the truth about a situation around uh, a financial uh, event. See, that, that, that's funny, the fear. I'm sorry, Paul, I'm going to hop in here. The, the fear, what I find when I do my mental math and gymnastics, the fear is what motivates me to do the deeper investigation to see, am I go, really going down the right path? And what are my, you know, out clauses, if you will, okay? If X happens, what happens? If Y happens, okay, if I do this, well, what's the worst case scenario from a loss point of view? And I base that against my age and how many more years I have to work or not. And, and that's how I do it, play into it. So it's really neat. And then a, sort of a follow-up to that, with the journaling, are you using a tool to, to, to physically write it down? Are you using an application? Or what, what's your technique around that? So I actually physically write it out, uh, which is sort of crazy. Um, I've got piles of journals. But for me, the reason I do that is I can type really fast. 
right? If I'm typing in the computer, I'm typing really fast. I'm not actually feeling what, I mean, I might be feeling what I'm writing, but there's not a direct connection. Just like when you pull out a a hundred dollar bill out of your wallet and you hand it over to the cashier, it's a lot more painful than handing them a credit card. And so when I'm writing in the journal, I'm actually relating to those words that I'm writing. And sometimes, um, and this I took from a book called, uh, the writer's way, uh, where you just write for five minutes in the morning, write, fill out three pages. Sometimes I just write garbage, nothing to write, nothing to write, nothing to write. And I just download the garbage so I can sort of clear it and, and then get to the good stuff. That's a great concept. Yeah, That's I love that. And, and kind of touching upon what, what Paul, what you were talking about before around the, the fear, right. And investigating further, which, um, I've been. I had a friend of mine who still jokes with me around my investigation of buying a fence for my backyard. Right, like I put so much thought in in, in looking and reviewing. I think sometimes um, I'm guilty of it. I'll get into analysis paralysis. Not all the time, yeah. but there is a there is a tendency to to get into a point where. Um, you get into you, you keep analyzing and you analyze some more and you analyze some more um, to the point where you're actually nerve wracked yeah. and and maybe for you Bob the question is how do you break that cycle how if you find yourself in analysis paralysis how do you break that cycle and get out of it how do you pull the plane up and get out of that well, tailspin you know that's a great question and I'm guilty of that too I for me it's having other people around me that I can lean to for support. Uh, you know, I'll take two years to buy a television. And, uh, you know, and I talk about this in the book, I I was, you know, this one and this one, and I was asking people and I'm doing all this research. And then I hear this couple right next to me go, Oh, look, honey, we can save 2000 bucks if we buy it now and put it on a credit card. And they just bought the TV. Right. And I was just mortified, like that they would just purchase (laughs) a TV on the fly without having done years of extensive research with their notes. So I, very traumatizing for me. Um, well, it, it, oh, go ahead. Well, no, go and ahead. so, the, but to, but most recently, I was looking at this house um, that I'm currently living in, and I was showing it to my business partner, and I, and I, w- I was saying this is a really cool house, and it's a little pricey, but I really want to move out of the other place, and she was like, buy it, and I'm like, no, 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 I need. She goes, no, the house is going to be gone. It's West LA. It's going to be gone, and literally, she called her agent. I made an offer the next day. I'm like sick to my stomach for the first two, you know, two weeks of going through this transaction. Best thing I could have done, but I had to get out of my own way. She basically pushed me off the cliff uh, because I was in this. No, no, I got to look at it 87 different ways. Yeah, I, wow. I, I, I know that, but I've gotten myself out of that paralysis point of view. I, I, I think I found for me a, a decent balance with yeah. it, but it is, it is hard. It is hard, but, but I, but what we're talking about, I think my biggest fear is a lot of people don't even get to that point. Right. They they just don't know. They don't. They don't even understand. To your example of doing a recording studio, right? Just just simple math will show you. Simple math. What do you need to do? And um, people like to quite honestly blame everyone else sometimes instead of just looking within and seeing what they can do themselves. A lot of it's charted by yourself. Not everything. I understand that. But a fair amount of it, everyone needs to share that responsibility. And one of the things that Paul and I have talked about at great length and probably too much is, again, I said it even in the beginning, the lack of education. And I, I like your book, how it brings it out. 
And that's the whole impetus for this cast, this podcast is sharing. Education is so important and it's not something that we teach. It's not taught in a lot of homes. It's definitely not taught in schools. And even in college, they don't teach you that stuff. I remember, and this is, and I know this still goes on. You graduate from college, there's 10 different credit card companies. They're giving you 10, $15,000 worth of credit. And I was like, look at all this free money. Oh my God, this is great. Um, you know, and went out and just incurred all kinds of debt because nobody had taught me. And, and it's, and I, again, I don't want to, it's not blaming here. My parents just didn't have the skill set, right? It wasn't like they said, let's set Bob up for failure. They, they were doing the best they could. Um, they just didn't have the tools and, and I didn't get that structure. And I think it's so important for parents to really start talking with their kids early, whether it's setting up an allowance, whether it's, uh, making them uh, pay for the rent uh, for living there. Well, like whatever it is, I know some of my friends will say, mommy and daddy have money, you don't. Uh, how are you going to pay for that? So that there's not this sense of entitlement um, and, and really teaching kids how to, to, to really start to be conscious and intentional in their choices. Um, I'm actually getting ready to, I'm working on a children's book series of financial literacy of just teaching different things about saving and being charitable and, and the ability to say no or budgeting and stuff like that. So that really just to start to tie it into everyday life because we do it. We're just not aware of it. Yeah, that that's very cool. And, and, and kind of things that were resonating with me when you were talking about that is, you know, getting the kids. And I know for myself trying to have those teachable moments right. with my kids when it comes to the financials. We talked about a, a moment I had with my son. He had his first summer job this past summer. Um, and we talked about that a bit and, and, uh, on a previous podcast. So I don't want to go, I won't go too deep into it, but you're right. It's, it's, and, and Paul, you're right as well. Kind of figuring out, you're really educating the kids on how to interact and work with money. Right. And how to respect it, how to don't, you know, how to, you know, donate it, care for it, you know, be it, be a good steward of money. Right. And I think that's what you're talking about here as well. Right, Bob? Absolutely. And and, you know, it's interesting. I went to uh, I went to a college that a lot some of the kids flew in on jets and everybody drove uh, Mercedes and all kinds of fancy cars. I was driving a, a Plymouth Fury that I bought for 300 bucks with the aluminum foil to keep the, the connection to the battery. I mean, and, uh, I was, I was on a tight budget, but I had grandparents and different people sending me a hundred bucks and 50 bucks. So I had a small allowance. I could have easily, uh, bought a car or done really great things with that money. But in college, I was more trying to live a lifestyle than I was actually thinking about what I could be doing, uh, proactively with my money because I just didn't know. I wish somebody had told me looking back, I'm like, wow, I wasted so much money. Yeah, it, it is interesting. All those different pieces. I did want to, I want to kind of just go back to one point, Bob, that was, was stuck in my head and I, I want to get it out. I know I'm switching gears. Okay. The TV example, I fell into that exact same example. And I think me and you were probably studying the TV market at the exact same time. I spent a good amount of time looking at TVs and trying to figure out at this point in time of which one to buy. And, and I remember going to a, a big chain store with my uncle and I had my big stack of research. I had all my printouts and I was talking about 
the different frequencies and the and, and the hertzes and all this kind of stuff. And and we're getting out of the car and I'm grabbing my big stack of paperwork. And my uncle's like, "Look, Paul." He goes, "Leave that in the car. We're gonna, you know, what we're gonna do. We're gonna go in and we're gonna actually look at these TVs." <laughs> And see what the picture looks like. What? <laughs> right? Like he he literally was like, "Look, let's stop with the paperwork. Let's go in." And and that was one kind of thing which kind of brought me down to reality. Is sometimes too much analysis, you're not getting that real world flavor. Yeah. But the other thing is balancing, and maybe this is a question, kind of looping it back. Is th- there's this balance, and I have friends that will research everything to the nth degree, and then I have friends that will pull the trigger without with no issue and i could tell you the people that pull the trigger on those types of decisions they sleep well <laughs> they do right they do not worry about anything right they, they see it they want it they get it right and, and 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 i think there's a certain healthiness to that if that makes sense yeah. as opposed to on the other end of the spectrum where i will spend months researching a fence right, right. or researching a tv or or whatever and where do you feel is that are you able to strike that balance between the two? Well, I've gotten much better about being able to just go for it and pull the trigger. I, for me personally, and I don't know if, if this resonates for you, but I think part, there are two parts that, that uh, hold me to that analysis piece uh, and getting it right. One is scarcity. I, I'm like, I, what if I buy the wrong TV and I should have bought this other TV and now I don't get to have two TVs. I can only have one TV, so I better get the right TV instead of, oh, mm-hmm. just buy an upgrade. So that partly came from a scarcity mindset. The other piece is this um, sunk cost bias, right? I've spent the money, so I've got to stay committed to it. So I want to make sure that I'm doing it exactly right. I'm, I remember I bought my first computer for my business and it was at the time, it was probably five or 6,000 bucks. I wanted to use that computer for the next 27 years, right? People are like, ah, <laughs> there's new technology. I'm like, but I spent $5,000 and I got to get every penny ever paid towards that computer. It's insane. You know, now I go through computers. Oh, we need six more computers. Oh, I still, part of me is like, oh, you know, dies a little bit, but, uh, but I get over it, right? <laughs> but there's this, this thing about, well, I already spent the money. It's got to last me forever. But I still think that really traces back to the scarcity mindset where I thought, well, there'll never be enough. Very cool. Yeah, no, I understand that. I can I can relate to both of those. And I think um, I'm going to read more into your book and start unpacking <laughs> some of these pieces as well. Um, one last thing I wanted to, I wanted to bring up, Bob, and, and, and kind of get your thoughts on is I love the term adulting. I promise I won't steal it. Yeah. For oh, any lots of, our, of people use my it. stuff, um, it, it, it's just, I can't take full credit. But yeah, <laughs> okay. So maybe I'll borrow it every once yeah. in a while. But it's a great concept, right? And you came up with this concept of going from college life to adulting, and 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 I think for me, I'm not quite there. Uh, Paul is there with his two boys, um, going from college life to adulting. I'd love to hear your perspective on how you came up with that concept, and tell us a little bit more about that. Well, you know, I think even if I look at myself, sometimes I still forget that I'm an adult, right? I'm still like, (laughs) I'm still like operating sometimes uh, childlike. And and it's funny, I'll even, when I'm looking at client stuff and I'm like, okay, great. They've got that rental property. They've got this house. They've got a nice amount in their, their 401k and they're investing really well. And I'm like, gosh, I wish I could. Oh, I've done that. Right. And, And I forget. Oh, I've actually been doing that stuff. Oh, I actually have a portfolio. Oh, I actually, 
I've, I've done those things, but I forget that because I still am in that childhood mode sometimes of like, oh, what's it going to be like? Because I did not have, my parents were like, we've got a house and we've got steady. My grandparents made every down payment for, for the houses that we lived in and, and carried us a lot of times. And so I still sometimes have that mindset that, oh, oh, I'm the adult in the room. And so, and I know I'm not the only one. And so for me, it was just, uh, I, I wanted to just convey this place of like, we, we don't have rituals in this country where we're like, now we're an adult. Now we're a young man or a young woman. And, and like in old traditional cultures. And so for me, being able to say, oh, we're adulting now. We're actually, we're transitioning into mommy and daddy aren't uh, giving us the money to go to college, if that's what the case was. Or now we're out in the real world. It's amazing how many people don't know, oh, you have to pay the rent by the fifth of the month. What? Uh, Oh, I have friends (laughs) where their phone gets cut off every month because they're like, oh, I always forget to do that. What do you, like automate, right? Or whatever. But, oh, we have to start actually being adults. Uh, We're just not taught that, I think. Um, a lot of us weren't taught that and, and still today. And so for me, it's so important to just start being intentional and conscious in, oh, we're transitioning. Now we're going into a next phase. Not that the other one was good or bad. It's just, it's the next natural progression. That, that's great. This is great stuff. And, and Bob, I think we could talk for another three hours. <laughs> I, I don't want to take up that much of your time. I'd love to, we'd love to have you back on the show um, at some point in the future, if you're amenable to it, but we usually do a little bit of a summary recap. And, and Paul, what, what was your takeaways from today? And then we'll give Bob the last word. Well, well, for me, I'm really excited to hear about this, uh, about the book and everything, because it made me feel good. I'm not the only one sitting up all night doing mental gymnastics trying to figure stuff out, right? Because um, I don't sleep a lot because I do do that all the time every night and my wife tells me all the time stop or it's okay you you got to figure it out already I'm like yeah but what about this so uh, i i guess hearing that i'm not the only one uh really made me feel good and that mental mind map uh is great because i i do do that and some of my friends at work who listen to this will laugh at me because I use mind mapping tools for work stuff. I actually don't use it for the finance stuff but i do use it for the work stuff so they'll they'll probably get a good kick out of that but I just love the, the the fundamentals that you're sharing here, and the the book breaks it down for those who who can't. And uh, so, thank you for for creating the book, writing the book. It, it's really neat. I'm gonna continue to read it. I'll finish it up soon, hopefully. But thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and, and I think for me, Bob, the the takeaway was I definitely am going to, like I said at at the top of the podcast, I'm gonna. I have a digital copy, which is where I do most of my reading now. I have my iPad, my Apple Pencil. I'll be in a coffee shop um, next week uh, at some point in the morning, kind of just going through and just, you know, making my notes in the margins and stuff like that. So thank you for that. And I guess, Bob, we'll, we'll let you have the last word. I mean, please, I know you, besides the book, you you are a f- uh, full-functioning CPA. You offer other services. Um, so, you know, we'll let you kind of have the last word and, and, and uh, let us know where we can find you. And we'll, we'll post all this to the Facebook page. But uh, tell people a little bit more about how they could get in touch with you and, and find out more about what you're doing. Absolutely. So the money nerve dot com nerve not nerd 
Uh, I'm a nerd, <laughs> but uh, themoneynerve.com <laughs> has all my resources. It has the information about my accounting firm, uh, workshops, other resources for people, my podcast, uh, Money You Should Ask, which is a great uh conversation with people about money blocks and money beliefs. I talk with a lot of people, many of them incredibly successful that share their same, we're all human. We're all going through this stuff. And, and so for me, what I would say to people out there is just be willing to ask questions and not worry um, what other people think. Uh, I was the guy in the continuing education classes going, those are big words. What do they mean? And all the other accounts are like, thank you for asking, right? Because they're all pretending like, oh, yeah, I know what that, I have no idea what, it's more than three syllables. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, and so I'd, I I want it to be digestible because when I work with my clients, they, did, they didn't take all the accounting that I did. It's not easy for them. So I want to try and give it in layman's terms so that we can all get on the same page. And so ask questions, look for support, don't not do things just because you're not perfect. You didn't do it perfect. Like step into it, take the risk, buy the TV. <laughs> don't, <laughs> you know, maybe do a little research, but, but don't do overkill. Just like, but be really intentional and, and conscious of how you spend and what comes up for you when you, when you go into your finances, whether it's that scarcity mindset, where, whether it's that sunk cost bias, whether it's, I want everybody to be impressed with, with, with how I'm living my life. Whatever those things are, whatever's true for you, no shame in it. Just get to know yourself and how you react financially and emotionally around that. And you can have anything you want. Very cool. Very cool. Well, Paul and Bob, I thoroughly enjoyed our discussion today, and I'm personally looking forward to our next one. Thanks, everyone, for downloading our podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at financialdads at gmail.com. Or check us out on Facebook. Just go to financialdads.com. So with that, this is Paul and Paul reminding you, managing finances can be stressful. But that's why the Financial Dads are here to help you plan for success. Have a good one, everybody. Be well, and thank you. Thank you.